Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and a Bird 2.0. I can't believe you did the hand motions. <laughs> I, You know, I've been saving them up for a while. Obviously. Have you been planning this for like the last year? Months. Or, you know, better yet, since th- this isn't a visual medium. No, as they Jer- can't see you. As Jeremy Clarkson would say, we're back! Yay! Unless, of course, you've never listened to us before and then... We're new Hi. to you. Yeah. <laughs> Hi! <laughs> so the reality is, if we actually introduce ourselves properly... This is not just a 2.0, but this is our third generation podcasting experience. Yes, but it's only the second one that we've done under the bloke and the bird guys. True. Well, not guys. We're not bloke and a bird guys. G-U-I-S-E, guys. Oh, not, not, not like, G-U-I-S? not like, not like, like use guys. <laughs> not like use guys and the two utes. <laughs> the two utes. It was on today. Anyway. Uh, I was going to say, that's on demand. <laughs> we should watch that again. Um, anyway, back to who are we. Um, he's a bloke. I'm a bird. This is a podcast. Summary done. Wow, you really dug into it. Okay. <laughs> Besides being off and, and gone for almost two, two years. years. Almost two years. That's not quite been. It's been pretty close to that. Um, our old show was originally whatever seemed to have caught our eye when it caught our eye and that oh, was what, look, something shiny yeah until we watched a formula one race 2012 yes the first one you watched was monaco barcelona for me i know you you started this addiction in our whole family i did why did you watch your first race this has been the ultimate question in all honesty, it's because I had downloaded Get iPlayer Automator on the computer, and I wanted to see how it worked, and that was the first thing I saw. And I downloaded it and watched it, and it was pretty cool. That is way, way cool. So, so that's how we got into it. From there, the show morphed into a lot of Formula One talk and a little other stuff. And we've decided that we're embracing the Formula One bit. We're, we're not going to be entirely Formula One. We're going to be mostly Formula One, and most shows are going to be discussing Formula One. But Formula One tends to take a pause every so often, go on these breaks for unknown re- I don't know. How hard is it to drive a car around a circle? There's well, a loopy circle and stuff. Well, they make right and left turns. And you travel. And they go up and down hills. Yeah. There's grade changes. It is quite difficult, but they have to give their people time off. There's a required break in the mid-season. Like two weeks, they have to take a break. Remember, it's a European sport. There's like seven, eight, nine weeks vacation involved. Yeah. So because there are these breaks in the Formula One action, there are going to be times where we're going to be talking about other stuff, and it's whatever happens to catch our eye. But primarily, we are a Formula One podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the the other issue you run into, we, we, we do need to explain, is to how we're going to approach Formula One. How are we? Please tell me because you haven't shared. Okay. For starters – if you're looking for the lap-by-lap lap race breakdown, you've oh, come so to the no. wrong place. You've come to the wrong place. We're not we – don't, we don't watch races with the laptop or with – well, we do watch them with the laptop because we're playing other games and stuff while we're watching. But we Who don't, is this we again? <laughs> you nap sometimes. But <laughs> we don't watch them with a, a notebook taking notes as things are going on and, and 
you know, if there's something really big that happens, that's what we'll talk about. But as for the full breakdown, there's plenty of other shows that do that and other podcasts that do that. We're not doing that. What we are doing is it's a look at the news that has happened leading up to the race and as a follow-up from the race before because – Oddly enough, we record on a Saturday. It's what worked for us. It's not necessarily the best thing for Formula One, but it's what worked for us. And Do we know how to have date night or what? Apparently. Unfortunately, that puts us after qualifying but before the race. And, of course, we edit the show the following night, which means it's edited after the race. So we really couldn't talk about the race as part of our weekly show until a week after anyway. So what we're going to do, again, is – talk about the stories that have happened, much like Five Live Formula One does. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they've done this longer and are probably better at it than we are. Well, they're better at it. They've got people who know what they're doing. They've been to the race. Yeah, they have, have Alan McNish. I mean, what more? <laughs> they've He's got really, Alan McNish. He's really rather I, awesome. I can't top that. I admit that. But you're taller than him. I am. He, he's not a very tall I think person. I'm taller than him. It may, it may be. But I can't drive a rally car like he. I don't know how he drives a rally car, but he used to drive the World Endurance cars. Is that what he drives? Yes. He, he is a Le Mans winner. Right. Like a three-time Le Mans winner. So as we mentioned, we, we listen to Five Lives Formula One podcast. We get our coverage primarily from England. Even though we are American, we live in Ohio – I got to say, we're not really huge fans of NBC Sports coverage. You know, uh, towards the end of last year's season, mm-hmm. um, NBC Sports uh, Facebook page posted like a picture of a Formula One car and said something about you know an upcoming race, and it was probably the U.S. Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. It's probably um, the only time they promote a race. It was probably the only one. And my comment that I made on that picture was, "Wow, you remembered you covered Formula One." Do you know how many <laughs> likes I got to that comment? <laughs> I had like hundreds of likes on that comment of, wow, you remembered. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just – I can't really get into Lee Diffie. David Hobbs, from what I hear, he is a wonderful person. He is a great person to hear speak. But he hasn't done anything with Formula One in probably 20 to 30 years. Steve Matchett is – a brilliant guy. Oh, I've, yeah. I've read his book. His, his books, they're great books. He really knows his stuff. But he covers Formula One in the U.S. He doesn't do it from the tracks. He doesn't have the connections with the teams anymore that the BBC and Sky have. You really don't. And you can't really cover a race all that well when you're sitting in a studio in North Carolina or wherever they are nowadays and not sitting at the track and there to talk to the teams and talk to the drivers and get the input and the insight that these other uh, companies have by being there and flood, literally flooding the team with coverage. Well, exactly. Um, so you're right. We get a lot of our news and information from the BBC. We watch the BBC's coverage of the races. Um, so we will often wait yep. um, to see the races um, and the qualifier. But with that, we get a lot more information. So back to the things that we will cover, one of the things I wanted to mention is that we will talk a lot about the drama behind F1. Because that's really what it comes down to. In all honesty, that's probably what pulled you in. Not so much the cars running around in circles, 
but the drama and the strategy and all the things that go on with it. Well, I told you what sucked me in that first race that you said, hey, you might want to watch this. This this is kind of cool. And it was strategy. Oh, it, it was, wasn't It wasn't the cars, that, that slow-mo shot that they kept showing of the cars coming around the swimming pool chicane, <laughs> you know, the, the tire up in the air? No. Oh, okay. It really wasn't. Although I do swear that they have a set number of required slow-mo shots that they must do. So when it <laughs> rains in Melbourne, there's always that slow-mo shot of the bird in the puddle shaking. <laughs> that, that's only when they've got a delay. Yeah. Know. But I think there's a required amount of slow-mo shots. No, it wasn't that. It was the thought process behind where they put the cars, you know, putting the cars in certain places, how do they handle the tire situations, how the teams were negotiating with each other on and off the track. Mm -hmm. And it became – it's – it's like the ultimate soap opera in so very many ways. Who's driving for who? Who's supporting who? Who's stabbing who in the back? I mean, seriously, get Susan Lucci out there and you'll <laughs> somebody come back from the dead and you've got a whole soap opera. And last year was definitely a season of off-track drama. Oh, yeah. Um, it just furthered that in so, so many ways. Um, so we also come to Formula One as fairly new fans. However, we may be fairly new fans, but we're well-researched fans because after we started well, we're getting, relatively well-researched fans. Well, after we started getting into <clears throat> Formula One, um, Michael, with his incredible searching skills for documentaries, found all sorts of documentaries on the past years of Formula One. We caught up because you can't go back and watch the races. Thank you, Bernie. Um, but... We could catch up on some of the drama that happened in previous years, the the drama through the deadly years. Um, yeah, the BBC airs every so often some really good retrospective specials. Um, they did, like you mentioned, Grand Prix, the deadly years, which talked about um, the safety issues and the revolution that started with Jackie Stewart into the 70s to try and make everything safer and hunt versus Lauda. Right, which was their ver- their BBC was an actual documentary, not the the movie Rush mm-hmm. that, you know, it's it a good loose- movie. It was a good movie, but it's loosely based in the realities. Yeah. Um but the Hunt versus Lauda from the BBC was a fantastic understanding of what was really going on. There's been some documentaries about Ayrton Senna, um Jim Clark. And Jim Clark. Um and Oh my word! I can't believe I just forgot his name. The one, the Playboy that um, Patrick Stewart interviewed. That he stood out as a kid. He stood outside the guy's house. Oh, Sterling Moss, Thank Sir you. Sterling Moss, Sir Sterling. <laughs> racing like, legends with right Patrick there Stewart. On the tip of my tongue. Yes, but racing legends. Um, another one. So. While we are new to the day-in and day-out world of Formula One today, um, we do have actual history. I, I only mention that for street cred, really. Okay. <laughs> the reality is, the, the reality is, though, as much as we know some of the history, um, we are still 
new fans, and that colors our opinion of what we're seeing and where things are going and what's been implemented and how it's been implemented. And, and that's going to matter in a little bit. Well, yes, and also keep in mind the other things that color it is our our news and information comes from across the pond. Yep. And we're new, and we also are not motorsport fans universally. True. So all of those pieces need to be understood sort of as we write the abstract of the show from the very beginning. This is our perspective, right, wrong, and indifferent. But it's always right because it's ours. There you go. Just – and this is the absolute truth. Uh-oh. This is the greatest show about F1 produced by us on the internet. Exactly. This is the absolute truth. Nobody can take that away from us. True. Hopefully next week's show will be even better. <laughs> I don't know. So right. so if we're going to talk about F1, shouldn't we talk about F1? Where we are right now in the season and where things are going. Okay. As we record this right now, we are through the first three days of the second test. Okay. Tomorrow being day number four. Right. Um, currently they are testing in uh, Barcelona. Or Yes. Barcelona. Barcelona. Um, with the next test being four days later, also in Barcelona, the final test of the season, and then we go into the race. Great. So, so test one was in Haraf. Yes, in Spain. Now, you and I have come up with the <clears throat> fundamental uh, summary of what happened in Haraf. We've got a little more detail over on the website, on the blog, at which we should mention, com. Yes. Yeah, we've, we've had to become the... Yes. Um, talk a little more about what we knew and what we didn't know. So what we know, Force India wasn't there. Ferrari is fast. Ferrari is surprisingly fast. Mercedes drove a lot. And Red Bull has swirly bits on their car. Yeah. Why are they doing the whole conceal? You know, that's been one of the big questions is what exactly is Red Bull trying to hide? Um, Red Bull, for, if you have not seen the pictures, the paint job on their car is more reminiscent of a road car in testing mm-hmm. than it is of any kind of a Formula One racing thing. It is the swirly, dazzly paint job to try and pull your eye away from things, but it still has the sponsors on it. Well, of course they have the sponsors yeah. on it. So that was Haraf in a nutshell. Um, And so now we've had three days of Barcelona testing. And so far, for starters, Ferrari's still running well. Yes, they are. Now, not to be a naysayer about Ferrari, but there are things we don't know. We don't know how much fuel load they're putting on the car. Yep. They are running well, but they're not necessarily putting in tons and tons of laps. Mm Mm-hmm. So they've got speed, but we don't know longevity. We don't know what kind of setups they're playing with or any of that. And if I remember correctly and go back in my Wayback Machine, didn't they do pretty well in testing last year? No, last year it was pretty dismal too. Oh, okay. Yeah, last last year was, was rather questionable as well. well I remember um, Red Bull didn't even like get laps pulled off last year. Yeah, Red, Red Bull was doing terrible, which by the way – McLaren now seems to have taken up that space. You know, everybody thought that Honda was going to come out and this was going to be the second coming of McLaren Honda and they were going to sweep everything up because they did this back in the 90s. Yeah. 
It's not quite so easy. Huh? I don't think that's working out for them. You know, the thing is, and, and this is something that, that folks had questioned last year when they heard that Fernando Alonso was jumping ship from Ferrari, which was struggling but ripping everything apart, to go over to McLaren is what indicator is there that McLaren was doing any better? That just because they were bringing in this Honda engine that they were going to make some kind of a substantial change because the problem wasn't the engine. No. Let's face it. McLaren was running the Mercedes engines, which were the top of the class last year, and they were doing a crummy job of it. So changing the engine wasn't going to fix their problem and obviously does not appear to be fixing their problem. Right. And do you remember the interview before Alonso announced that he was going to McLaren, um, McLaren Honda that he said, it will all be clear as to why I make, I'm making the changes I'm making. It will all be clear. Everyone will completely understand. And then he goes to McLaren Honda and everybody went, why? <laughs> yeah. It wasn't completely clear, Alonso. It really wasn't. Um, so... Yeah, Jensen actually only went managed 12 laps on the first day of the tests. And uh, yeah, of, of test two, and they didn't do two. much better in test one. I think he's up to 33 laps in two days of running because a part that they had put on the car to fix another failure is also failing. But for some reason, it's failing on Jensen's car and not Alonzo's car. Well, they only run one car. Oh. Yeah, it's only one car. They alternate because keep in mind – it's one car that runs. They just alternate the drivers. And typically, unless there's an issue, which we saw with Mercedes this week, it is one driver that runs a day. Right. Um, so, But Alonso didn't seem to have this problem when they used the fixed part. There were, there were other issues that Alonso had. That, but he managed 59 laps on Friday. Which was a lot for them. Yeah. But, okay, so in, let's compare for a second because I said at the very beginning what we don't know. We don't know what the fuel load was, and we don't know how many how, – what the setup looked like, and they weren't running a lot of laps. He ran 59 laps. Mercedes, you know, king of the hill, yep. they're running over 100 laps. Yeah. So we're still talking half the number of laps. Truly, I honestly start thinking anybody that's making predictions about the season based on testing – is spitting in the wind, basically. Yeah, you know, it's still a little early. I mean, right now, it's more of a reliability thing. Um, towards the end of next week, when we go into the last test session, that's when we really start to see things. That's when engines start getting turned up. Although, Williams, one of the things that they were doing, apparently, today, is they were running practice pit stops. Excellent. Which says to me that they are ready and ra- raring to go. Speaking of Williams, Susie Wolf got out on the track uh, earlier this week um, and got into a tangle with Sauber's new driver. Um, yeah. There's some finger pointing going on there as to who was at fault there. Susie was on an outlap, and Felipe Nasser was actually on a high speed lap at the time, and supposedly he cut across her and she didn't see him, but they both ended up in the gravel. Yeah. I had to feel sorry for Susie. If she didn't have bad luck, it seems like she'd have no luck at all. I mean, she did the practice laps during last year, and the engine blew. It's Silverstone, and they blew. But her other runs that she got to to do later in the year, everyone said she was phenomenal out there. And and she is an incredible test driver, and 
don't don't misunderstand. I mean, I think Susie is a phenomenal driver, but she she keeps having these like little runs. You, 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 she's like she gets almost to the precipice of being able to do something phenomenal, and then something gets taken from her. And yeah. I just I keep wanting to go. Oh, Susie, I'm so sorry. Um. So the other thing that happened that was a bit unique is like you know like we said. Typically, a team goes with one driver a day, and they alternate between them so that everybody gets a chance. Force India, in the odd stuff that we'll talk a little bit about what's going on with them, two days of their running over at Force India was supposed to be done not by one of their drivers, which, by the way, wouldn't have been in a 2015 car anyway, but by Mercedes reserve driver Pascal Wehrlein. Yeah. So apparently, because, you know, a lot of stuff happens behind closed doors, we must infer a few things. Apparently, Mercedes cut a deal with Force India, and I'm sure that that came with some money. Oh, absolutely. To put one of their drivers in the Force India car. Now, the advantage is Force India gets to see their car and the engine set up running because I don't think they were necessarily ready for testing because they weren't at the first test. Well, they weren't at the first test, but the thing with what Force Indy was running was they ran the 2014 car. Right, because the 2015 car is not ready yep. and might not be ready in time, mm-hmm. um, which has a whole set of other fun issues. But so Mercedes wants the data from that extra engine – so it's unusual little bedfellows going on around there. Well, Mercedes entitled to that as the engine constructor. Right. But by putting their driver in, yep. they get more information. Well, th- there's the other thing is he's now in a very unique position that no other driver on the grid has. And granted, it was Force India's 2014 car. But in the same day, he drove in the Force India car, and then that afternoon, because Lewis had to pull out because Lewis was scheduled to run and had to pull out because he had a fever, he then drove the Mercedes, the championship defending Mercedes. Yes. How many drivers out there can turn around and say, not only did they get to drive two different teams' cars back-to-back in one day, but jumped over into the championship defending team and could then go and take that input and and that comparison and feed that back to their team. I mean, that's huge. It is. I mean, incredible for him, and hopefully he'll he'll turn this into a great career into Formula One. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's got an incredible opportunity. Um, Lewis was not the only one in Mercedes that was under the weather. Yeah, they were – the other alternative before they had called Pascal to had him come over would have been for Nico to run instead. But Nico was down for the count because supposedly he had a trapped nerve in his shoulder. Mm -hmm. Now, when he did show up at the track the next day, he announced that his wife was pregnant. Okay. I don't think those (laughs) things are related, huh? I don't think I, I, I just had to throw that out there. Yes. But the the yes. Rosberg family is expecting in August. Yes. Mrs. Rosberg is uh, knocked yes. up. And okay, Mrs. Rosberg is knocked up and Lewis and Nicole are what? Finally kaput? Maybe kaput. Supposedly they are done for the fourth time. 
Oh, my Because... Word. This is worse than high school. It, it is because I guess she wants to get married and he doesn't and... Yeah. We'll see how that plays out because the last time they had their breakup, Lewis had one of the worst seasons of his entire career. So we'll see how this works. Yeah. Stay tuned. Drama continues at Mercedes. So while we're talking about Force India, before we get too far, you know, we mentioned that the car's not there. They're running the 2014 car. Right. They're not going to have the 2015 car in four days or five days at this point as we record this for, for the final test of the season. No, so the, it will show up at the first race. Yeah, the first that their drivers will get seat time behind that car will be at free practice one in Melbourne. That just doesn't seem like a good mix here. <laughs> you don't think that's a good strategy plan? Yeah. Well, now, we talked – I did a post a couple of days ago on the blog talking that maybe or, – or hypothesizing that maybe things are not nearly as stable over at Force India as they want us to believe. Sure. Um, Bob Fernley, who's the team principal, claims we, – we know this. He was the first one to come out and said that I was the one who turned around and vetoed Manor Racing running this year. In their 2014 car. He was the first one out to say that. Every other team came out and said, yeah, we endorsed it. We support it. We want to see them out there. But Bob said no. Now, you got to wonder why does Bob say no? Well, the question is, and he says that it has nothing to do with the fact that if Manor doesn't run and Manor Racing is the default name for Marusha. Marusha will not be coming back. If it comes back, the entry is in the team of Manor Racing Limited. Um, Manor would inherit Marusha's prize fund from last year. Correct. Because that has not been paid out. In theory. They have to run to get that point prize. Correct. And the contract says they can only miss three races of the year. But the other oddball piece of it. And that nobody's been able to confirm because the rules are this murky. That prize money may already be forfeit. Because it says in the contract that not only do they have to they, – they can't miss more than three races a year. But it also says that the team must remain financially solvent throughout the season. Mm, and and they, went into, yeah, they went into administration before the end of the season. So they may have already lost the money. That'll be an interesting thing to see how it plays out, especially since Bernie is opposed to development teams, um, and he seems to have some sway over those pieces. Well, Bernie of the bad, bad hair Bernies. Well, you, 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 we used to be better at this. I know. <laughs> um, his feeling is he doesn't want to support the teams unless – their name is Ferrari, McLaren, or Mercedes. Exactly. He doesn't want to support the teams. They need to pay their own way. They need to figure it out and, and, and do all of that. So he doesn't want to give Manor a dime. He doesn't want to do anything to support Manor. He doesn't want to do anything to reallocate any funds or anything like that. He does not want to support them. So getting beyond that. Now, here's the thing that I find very interesting. So we, we get to go into my conspiracy theory fun. Okay. 
Force India was very quick to announce that they did not, because Manor Racing, the only thing that they requested, they were going to be able to run. They have the money to be able to get back on the track. Mm-hmm. Manor Racing is asking to be able to run a 2014 body Yep. this year so that they could, even not even the whole year, it was for part of the year, so that they could get a 2015 body happening because during administration no development was done in mm-hmm. 2015 they, they believe that they can get a 2015 chassis running in races by either bahrain or barcelona so but force india was very quick to say no no no. we we insist that they have a 2015 vehicle okay fine and yet force india is looking all for the world like they are going to be running I mean, everything they've been doing so far is in a 2014. They're not up and running for 2015 yet. Now, Manor has come out and announced that even though they were shot down for running the 2014 for a few races, they believe they can modify the 2014 that they have to meet 2015 specs so then they can continue to upgrade it throughout the season. They, they can they can meet pieces of it, and that's what they were going to get. They were looking to get the, uh, the exemption for mm-hmm. um, was the pieces that could not be modified to meet the rules. They can do most of it. The other thing that they are running, Ferrari has said they will give them engines. They're giving them 2014 engines. Now, what the difference is between the 2014 and 2015, we don't know, other than, assumedly, based on their performance in testing, the 2015 engines are running a little better. Yeah. But we don't know. But they're handing them 2014 engines. Maybe they've made some tweaks in it. We don't know. Ferrari's whole deal in this has been kind of odd. In its own right, Ferrari is the biggest, uh, one of the biggest uh, debtors here, mm-hmm. or folks who are owed money. Creditors. There you go. Um, because they're the engine supplier. So Ferrari could have turned around and placed Marussia in a much better financial standing if it wanted to by forgiving or restructuring some of that debt, and they elected not to. Correct. I mean, it's all, it's and truthfully, all this money is a shell game to begin with. Yep. And so it's, you know, where they stop and who picks up what shell. I mean, this it's just a game. So moving away from that, as we move the rest of the shell game that is Formula One, we have to touch on the rules. Yeah, you know, form, the head honchos at Formula One, they have been complaining quite a bit since this new formula was, some say, adopted, some say forced upon them. It all depends on who you talk to and how you talk to them and what day of the week it is. But since this new formula came out and these new engines came out, they've been complaining. Oh, Wholehandedly complaining. complaining. They're not loud enough. And and some of the diehard fans who've been around long enough, or they're not loud enough. They... It's just not exciting. The, the first few races of the year, Luca de Montezemolo, who was at Ferrari at the time, claimed that it was just taxi driving. And then, of course, we had Bahrain, which was... One of those phenomenal races. At a track that typically is known for really, really dull races. Yeah. It was a fantastic race. And a fantastic race admitted by the people that were shouting the loudest that the cars weren't doing it for them. No, Luca wasn't there. No, Luca wasn't there, but some of the other people that were like, yeah. 
no, this was this was actually wheel to wheel racing. This is what we wanted. This is what we've asked mm-hmm. for, and yet you you claim you couldn't get it with the cars that we had, and yet that's exactly what we got. But there's been all these complaints that it, it, the show isn't that good. Viewership is down. Attendance has definitely been down this year. I'm not sure necessarily that it's due to the engine noises, um, but attendance was definitely down this past year. Although viewership, at least in the United States, was up, yeah. which, shockingly enough, I mean, when you have the crap that NBC Sports puts out, it's amazing. But viewership was up in the United States. Around the rest of the world, they were down. So Formula One's been looking for ways, or Formula One management has been looking for ways to improve things and to make things better, to improve the show, translate to interfere with the racing. Yeah. Um, so they've been talking about, even though this formula was supposed to last, I believe, until 2020, mm-hmm. about making some fairly dramatic changes to the cars. Correct. Some of the things that they were looking to do, they wanted the cars to be wider. They wanted the tires to be wider. Well, um, the rear tires to be wider. Yes. Um, thus, the, the tires would be very different front to back, size-wise. Also, the other big thing that has gotten a lot of talk is changes, staying with these engines but changing the output. Right. Right now, they're like 800 horsepower or something like that. They're throttled back. They can't run them as fast as they want. They want to open them up to 1,000 horsepower because the whole thought here is that things were great back in 92 or 93. Um, Okay. Go for it. So (laughs) we've talked quite a bit, and now we get to share it with the world, my theory on this. Because I've heard a lot of... Oh, well, Formula One was awesome during this period, or it was awesome during that period, and we should return to the Schumacher days, or we should return to when Senna ran, or the Hunt versus Lauda days, or, you know, yada, yada, yada. So I have this belief that when you come to Formula One, the, the best years are your first years of watching and enjoying. They become nostalgic. We over-romanticize certain periods of time in the Formula One history. And I think that we forget what was wrong with those years. And we forget that even back then, people didn't love what was going on then. And that the very nature of the sport being the ultimate in motor racing, it has to evolve and change. Mm-hmm. And some changes will be phenomenal, and some changes will take some time to get used to, and some changes will suck, and they will change them. Double points, I might mention. <laughs> um, but the reality is, if you want a sport not to change, you can go watch NASCAR. No, NASCAR changed. What did they do? NASCAR changed their qualifying last or at Daytona, which is running this week, but the qualifying was last week, and apparently it went really, really bad. It was supposed to be some sort of something similar to what Formula One does, but not quite the same, and apparently it was awful. I don't know too much about what happened. I just heard that it did not go very well. Well, what I mean is... They run the same cars. Mm-hmm. They run stock. How about indie cars? Yeah. They, they don't change over time. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, we've always said one of the things that I and that we love about Formula One is that what you see on those cars today will be in production in our street cars in so very many ways. There are lots of things that they are doing. Traction control came out of Formula One. It did. And Hybrid which of engines. course is gone. <laughs> yeah. Re- brake recovery. Yeah, that, a lot of those pieces are. Yeah. Formula One. That's what we should be using this for. And that's what it's phenomenal for. But it's a sport that must evolve over time. Whether you agree with all the evolutions or not doesn't change the fact that you can never, never, never go back to the halcyon days of the early 90s. I could make the cars the same. I could make all of the rules exactly the same as they were in the early 90s. And do you know what? Viewership would still be down. Attendance would be down. And people wouldn't like it because they'd still complain. Well, you know, per, to put it in perspective, everybody likes to talk about, well, you know, when Schumacher was running in the 90s, it was so much better. And But in the 90s, from everything that I'm seeing, everybody complained over by the time Schumacher hit number four and number five, well, this is boring because we know Schumacher is going to win again. And, and why do we want to keep watching this? And the same thing happened up until 2013 with Red Bull. Four wins, four straight championships, and people are going, oh, well, Seb's just going to win again. So why do we? So what happens? 2014 rolls around. We get a completely new winner who dominates everything, and, oh, this is boring. Well, wait a minute. You got what you wanted. You got somebody else to come in. And, oh, by the way, it wasn't even just that, yes, Mercedes as a team ran away, but the championship itself wasn't a runaway championship. No. It, it was close down. all the way down to the end. They didn't need the double points. They didn't need to play that game. That was utterly unnecessary, but we complained about that, and that wasn't good enough. Or we want to complain about the tires. Oh, the tires are degrading, and it's having too much of an effect, and, and they're having to do four, five, and, or, or three and four pit stops a race because the tires are so bad. So we go to Russia where the tires don't degrade, and everyone looks around and goes, wow, maybe the tires should have been degrading because this is really kind of dull. You think? So I hear through the grapevines, that we should ask the fans what they want. And then Formula One... I've never been asked. Wait, wait, wait. Formula One should listen to the fans, that the fans know what they want. The fans know Jack. I mean, seriously. (laughs) Let's be honest. Every fan, because everybody's got a belly button, they've all got their own opinions as to what Formula One really ought to do. And the truth is... You can't go back to when it was nostalgic and fabulous. You're forgetting the complaints that were there back then. You can't you can't say with a straight face, I want tires not to degrade and become a factor in the race and that Russia was a boring race because you got what you asked for. Yeah. You you you, you don't get that. You either accept it for what it is today and know that you got to put some faith in that they're going to try. And they're going to try things thinking that it's the right answer. And they're going to fail. Or they're going to try some other things and it's going to be great successes. But when it's all said and done, you'll ride the waves of these changes. And I'm sorry, you will never hear me go, Oh, we should go back to the good old days when Seb won every single championship. Or we should go back to fuel stops when we caught people on fire in the pit stops. 
Or we should go back to putting hay bales around spa and having spanners taped to our steering wheels because that was better. It wasn't. It was different. Yeah. And different isn't always better and different isn't always worse. I'll put my soapbox away now. Well, you know something? The other thing that I will tag on to it over the, the damn engine noise, because I'm so tired of hearing about it. Most of the people I hear screaming and yelling and complaining about the engine noise watch it on TV. Turn up the volume. Well, regardless of what the engine noise is, for most of it, it's the same general level of volume that comes through the TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a different tone. But you watch it on TV, and how loud that engine is doesn't really change all that much. Now, it's different at the track. Yes, it is that visceral visceral feeling that you get with the, the older cars and the louder engines. I get that part. But I don't have the money to go to that many races. Right now, I don't have the money to go to any races. But even still, if I had the money to go to races, I couldn't do maybe more than two. I watch most of the races on TV. Most of the world watches their races on TV. The engine noises aren't why they're watching it. No. And it doesn't sound like Formula E. The engine noise isn't making good wheel-to-wheel racing. Mm -hmm. And by the way, if you go out there and you say, I want to see people race, you have to understand that no matter what they do, Wheel-to-wheel racing only happens in a controlled environment. At no point, Nikki Lauda would agree with me, at no point does every driver put 100% out there because that is a recipe for disaster. You, you ride an edge, but you only give 80%. You have to hold it back because you've got to bring that car home. You've got to meet the strategy of your team. It is not an individual sport. It is a team sport. And there is a a factor of when they can get you into a pit stop and all of those other pieces that are controlling that. And you know something? And this might be news. It was the same factor in the 90s. They still (laughs) weren't driving at 100% flat out, throwing those cars around corners like they didn't care about death. I mean, that's the reality of these things. So back off that that was nirvana but you still want to see him push and I want to you see know him push and i want to see him not hold back and i want to not have processional races i get that but why back to that whole fans don't know what they want part of my rant what's the most popular race of the season spa monaco not really monaco is popular for a different reason monaco Monaco's is popular because it's monaco and it's a party right what kind of race is it? Oh, it's highly processional. It's all you hear the whole week is, well, there's not much passing, there's not much passing. Of course, you see a couple of passes, but, oh, you can't pass in Monaco. Right. Tell that to Jewel Bianchi. But. Yeah, tell that to Jewel Bianchi. <laughs> tell that to anybody that's passed in Monaco. It's the phenomenal passes. Yeah, mm-hmm. there are not many of them, but they are phenomenal when they happen. Oh, yeah. And Those are replay moments every and time. They, they're awesome, but... It's a popular race on the calendar. It's a must-see race on the calendar, and it is what? Highly processional. Every single time. Out of the last, what, 10 years of races, the people, the person on pole, if they don't crash on their very own, wins the race? Yep, typically. 
So it's a foregone conclusion, and yet fans who don't know what they want complain that they don't want processional racing, but you want Monaco? Are you watching it not going well? The pole sitter's going to win this one. It's a fight for pole and qualifying. The race can be won or lost in qualifying. Thank you, Nico Rosberg, for cheating. <laughs> oh, you're not holding that against him at all. No, I, I definitely hold that against him. I think that he did that on purpose. But I have to give him credit. He may have done it on purpose, but it was strategy. It was. And I get that, and I respect it on the level of strategy. I want to smack him for it. But it was strategy. And it's those are the parts of the race that are fantastic. But you can't say, I don't want processional racing, when you flack like moths to a flame to a most professional race of the year. It's because it's Monaco. Oh, it's special. And the money. Well, yeah, but it's special. And the parties. Yeah. But there's money at other races. Not like in Monaco. I mean, truly. So, to get back to the rules proposals, the question was whether or not they were going to be. It was looking like it, it might be a 2017 thing or a 2016 thing. They've definitely vetoed the possibility that it's going to be 2016. Um, they have not said that it's going to be 2017. Not definitely. There's still some disagreement as to whether or not they're going to do it. Um, but if it happens, it'll happen 2017, not 2016. But they do seem to be asking the question of, is this right? Is this the right approach? Not is completely. Because the other piece that they keep talking about is the fact that we need to control costs. F1 is too expensive. You know, it's crushing the team. We lost two teams last year. Yeah. We have Force India, who arguably is probably in trouble of its own, and they won't, even though they won't admit it. We know Sauber's in trouble. We know Manor's just, you know, dancing on the edge. So you turn around and you do a major revision of the rules that took place in 2014. You wait two, maybe three years later, and do it again? Yeah. No. How does that make sense? No, it's not designed to help the development teams. It's not designed to help any team. No. But other teams can absorb the costs a little bit differently than and better for a rules change like this. Yeah. Than Definitely. People that are running on a shoestring. Definitely. Now, this is very important. Yeah. There is one thing that everybody has agreed on. Yeah, they've figured out one thing. They've come together and said, we need to fix this. Yes. Now, I know that as longtime F1 fans, we have all suffered with a single problem. Driver identification problems because of the helmet changes race by race yeah no never no nope wow i've never had that problem either but that's what the fia tells me is my biggest problem yep according to the fia all these especially people like sebastian vettel who changes his helmet just about every single race it's caused confusion and that's why viewership is down so because of that, the FIA is banning is planning to ban changes to helmet designs this year, forcing Formula One drivers to stick to a single design for the course of the season. So tell me, you know, and, and the one in the article that I had found that they, they call out is Kimi Räikkönen's tribute helmet to James Hunt, which said in big block letters on the side, James Hunt. 
Yeah. How many Formula One fans do you think were out there that mistook Kimi Raikkonen running in that helmet for James Hunt? Zero. Yeah. Zero. Well, okay, maybe maybe the Fairweather fan that had just seen Rush, who didn't know that James Hunt was dead, might have been slightly confused. But I don't even think that that's a possibility. You know, I'm bummed because we won't get to see special helmets in, in Singapore. Singapore, Monaco used to be a big one for, for yeah, custom Yeah, all helmets. new helmets for Monaco. Um, Button, this last year his dad died. Mm-hmm. He had he he ran a tribute helmet, helmet for the for last part of the season. Yep, I mean that was for his dad who supported him for all of those years. I mean, you're telling me that our biggest problem is that Jensen Button wanted to wear a helmet to honor his dad for three races of the season. Well, let's also recall that. The helmet situation, according to the FIA, was so bad in 2012 in Singapore that they banned flashing lights on them. Flashing lights that most fans, I don't think, didn't realize were there until after the race when somebody mentioned it in some of the coverage of, hey, look, there are lights on Sebastian Vettel's helmet. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it was distracting to other drivers or anything like that either. But these are the problems the FIA can solve. I am so proud of this body of rule makers that they have found the linchpin in the problem of viewership that no one knew was an issue. You know, I think former driver Mark Weber summed it up perfectly on Twitter. Oh, yeah. I really love what what he put on Twitter was. I really love uh, Force India's design in the first test at Haref. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, this is what they focus on. Yeah. Way to miss the mark. I mean, it, it, it's 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 almost like the story of the little Dutch boy that's putting his fingers in the dam. And he's putting his fingers in the cracks and ignoring the giant hole. Yeah. I mean, that's the problem. It isn't the helmet that is that causes people to get confused as to who's in, who's, who's in what car. And especially not on TV coverage. And if you remember, going back to your previous point, that the majority of your viewers are on TV. Mm-hmm. And maybe, just maybe... Instead of focusing on helmet design, we should start talking to Bernie of the bad hair Bernies. I remember (laughs) that perhaps alienating our youngest viewers is one of your biggest problems and not helmets. Well, you know, it's not the alien, not just the alienating your viewers. How about the fact that? FOM, Formula One Management, which Bernie heads and that he is responsible for, is supposed to promote Formula One. Right. Exactly how do they do that now? Well, they don't do it on social media. Their app, which from what we have seen is better than it has been in the past, an app that if you really want to go back, when the iPad was first released, what, five years ago? Mm -hmm. That app was showcased at the iPad launch, mm-hmm. Apple's keynote, and 
But that app has gotten slightly better? Uh, it's slightly better for during race time. It's horrible if you want news between the times. Yeah, it's terrible. I mean, the the sliders for the news is absolutely awful, and it doesn't update fast enough. It doesn't update at all. <laughs> well, there's that. But, you know, after the season ended last year, <laughs> the top story of on the F1 app was not Lewis Hamilton's victory. It was who was on pole from qualifying. Yeah. I mean, seriously. We could have focused on a thousand other things, but we didn't update the Q&A after the race or any of those things that should have been – I mean, that should be instantaneous stuff. We can't manage our marketing piece, but instead we're going to let the FIA – who we'll get into the FIA in a second. But FOM is going to let the FIA go and make dictate this rule change. Despite the fact that many of these helmets, the specialty helmets in particular, the drivers auction off for charity at the end of the season. Exactly. That's part of the reason why they change these helmets. They've now taken that away from them. They've taken that connection away from them. But the FIA, who's, who's going to mandate this helmet change, sits out for every other rules discussion. They let the teams go ahead and handle all the financial pieces and that whole piece and let other teams go under, and they can't get involved in that. Oh. But they'll get involved in the helmets. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, when you can't solve a big problem, it is always best to hyper-focus on a non-issue. Yeah. Wait till they get the press. You know, if because they're still considering this. This isn't a done deal, right? Well, the FIA has proposed it. And I believe it's just waiting for the World Autosport Council. Yeah, still needs to be ratified by the FIA's World Motorsport Council just before the start of the season. So this isn't a completely done deal, but my understanding is that the World Motorsport Council is just going to rubber stamp it unless people really get bent out of shape over it. Well, I think it'll be very interesting because all it will take, all it will take, is one charity that benefited from a helmet auction last year to stand up and go, you know that $10,000 that we made from the mm -hmm. helmet auction? You know what that did? That saved some little girl's life. Or that moved, you know, something, or it went to typhoon relief somewhere, and it had a direct effect on someone's sob story life. And that could become the press. And guess what? We've now taken the entire news cycle away from F1, away Again. from the race, away from the drama and the, the sport itself, and we focused it solely on the money. Yeah. And that's really sad because F1 already is seen as a money-grubbing uh, rich kid's sport. Ridiculous financial piece of the lunatic running it with crazy hair who doesn't think that the youth matter. The youth don't matter to him. Yeah. But the youth matter to us. So the final piece of our new and improved podcast is that every so often, youth will appear on our show. Yeah, we'll talk about that when it happens. Yes. I just thought I'd tease it. Okay. So... You know, we haven't figured out how to close this show. I was going to ask you, you. You thought everything else through... 
Well, you know, we used to throw it to Barbie, but you have told me we can't do Barbie anymore. No. I don't know why, but it was an easy thing that we just threw it to Barbie and Barbie would close the show. So we're going to have to come up with something, and I don't have one right now. So, and I, and, and, and I can't use Don't Drive Like My Wife, although that's not a bad idea, but. Well, yeah, <laughs> but that's really sad. It's already been taken. It was taken yeah. and Tommy, now. Tommy passed away. Yeah. So that, that is sad, and I, I'm not ready to depart these mortal coils just yet, so let's not do that. Okay, so until we figure out how to come up with a better closing, this is about where we're going to end it. Otherwise, we'll ramble on forever.